If you haven't been part of our church for, for a long time, um, you certainly could know that that's one of the things that, that God has been doing here over a lot of years, is really helping us impact the next generation. And uh, we love that. We just love seeing the work that God's been doing. And so uh, we celebrate that in lots and lots of different ways. Um, so we are now five weeks into our 40 days of prayer, and I hope that you've been praying as we've been starting the year, getting time alone, getting time in groups, time with family. Uh, it's about prayer. It's about looking to the Lord, and specifically, we have been asking God to reawaken us to Christ. The aim of this 40-day focus is to fix our gaze on Jesus. It's to remember who He is, what He has done, what He has given us to do, which will be a part of our theme here in our message today, and what he will do in the future. So maybe you've been going through the devotionals with us online, or maybe you've just been praying as you're able in these 40 days, but uh, this has been an important time for us. I've, I've appreciated being able to share this series with our pastoral staff. We do that deliberately. We want you to be able to hear from more voices than just me to really develop a, a better orbed uh, kind of view of God's work in the world uh, but the team has been doing a great job as we've been talking about reawakening to the glory of Christ, reawakening to the death, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, reawakening awakening to the spirit of Christ, reawakening to the church of Christ last week, and today we're going to talk about reawakening to the mission of Christ. And I love this Ephesians 5 passage that we've quoted a handful of times, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And if this in this series you have found yourself saying, yeah, I feel like I'm waking up to some work that the Lord wants to do, then we're gonna celebrate that. And any time that the Lord wants to shine on us, I think is a good thing. So we'll say in 2022, Lord, shine on us. We wanna be your willing participants and uh, join you in the work that you are doing. So today, reawakening to the mission of Christ. Now this is a theme that we talk about a lot here and I'm glad that we do. I hope that we never stray away from this, this uh, notion of the mission of Christ. What is it that Christ is doing in the world today? What is it that Christ is calling our church to become? What is it that God is calling you to become as a part of his work in this world. So if you were with us last year, you know that we had a whole series that we did, Church on Mission, again, a theme that we wanna stay uh, close to our hearts as we go forward. So today, as we lean into this notion of what does it mean to reawaken to the mission of Christ, we want to remind you of things that we've talked about in the past. We talk a lot about gospel declaration, the preaching of the word. As, a, as an ambassador for Christ, you are called to be his mouthpiece. But we also talk about gospel demonstration, that you have opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as I'm gonna share with you a little bit today, especially as we are aware of the mission field in front of us, we must be aware of opportunities for gospel demonstration. This is where we make the connection, the relational connection and currency that we need to have an opportunity to speak gospel declaration. And we actually see both of these present in today's scripture. There is an invitation to come to the table. There is a verbal, go out and get people, tell them what Jesus uh, is calling them to. But then there's also a remembering of those that the world has oftentimes forgotten 
And so this beautiful intersection of gospel declaration and gospel demonstration takes us to Luke chapter 14. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to flip over there. We're going to look at several portions of this passage, which is actually a parable that Jesus told. And I'm going to break this into three parts. The first thing, we're going to talk about the great invitation. We're going to talk about our common excuses. And then we're going to talk about the king's full house. This passage of Scripture will probably be familiar to some of you, many of you, uh, as it is a a common parable of Jesus. Uh, In Luke chapter 14, we're going to read verses 15 and following. Let's begin with verses 15 to 17 in the great invitation. It says, when one of those at the table with him, that is Jesus, heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell all of those who had been invited, come for everything is now Ready. I want you just to keep your finger right there in the passage. We're going to pick up there in a minute, but I want to talk for just a few moments with you about the great invitation. Because if we're going to be a people that are serious about being on mission with the gospel of Jesus Christ in gospel declaration and gospel demonstration, we must first know that we are invited to the table. And I want to talk with you a little bit about what does that actually mean that you are invited to the table of the king. Because if you don't get that, you can't invite somebody else. Because what happens in this story is there's people that are invited and some don't come. And so the master of the house says, you know what, then go out and get these other people. And when they do, then he says, go out and get more because there's still room at the table. And that, in many ways, is the heart of our mission. But if we don't understand that we have a place at the table, then we don't know how to start this whole thing. I find it interesting that one of the people at the the table with Jesus makes this comment, and it's in reference to the things that Jesus has been talking about in Luke chapter 14. So in Luke chapter 14, uh, Jesus is talking about things like I think it seems like kind of good etiquette, right? He says, when you go to a banquet, don't seat yourself at the, at the important seat. Take a lowly seat and let somebody kind of elevate you if indeed that is what's going on. So he's kind of talking about those things. He says, when you have a banquet, don't just invite your friends, but remember these other people as well. And in the midst of that, it, uh, it spurs this comment from one of those who are at the table with him. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. I want to talk with you, first and foremost, about this great invitation. Blessed are you when you have a table at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, if you you dial into this and you think that all we're talking about is food today, Uh, You will get some of the message, but you will not go nearly deep enough because as always with Jesus' parables, we're talking about an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. There's something deeper that is going on here. Uh, if, If you study scripture, you actually find that this notion of the feast, uh, the wedding supper of the lamb, Uh, This theme is actually spread all throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New, and it's signifying something really, really significant. Again, we have to understand what we are being invited to. If you go all the way back to Isaiah chapter 25, you see uh, these words being said, verses 6 to 8. 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. And then, again, this is not just about food because it goes on to say this, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. All the way back in Isaiah, way, way before the time of Christ, we see the Lord has spoken, and he's speaking about this invitation to a feast. What's he talking about? Well, if you go all the way to the end of the book, you look in Revelation, you see uh, Revelation chapter 19 verses six to nine then i heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters like the loud peals of thunder and here's what they're shouting hallelujah for the lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory why for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then he added, these are the true words of God. Isn't it interesting how many times Scripture is talking about the wedding of the Lamb, this big feast, and that the Lord has spoken by the way, he's putting his, his uh, stamp of authenticity on this. So what is it? What is it that Jesus is talking about? We must understand how significant this is. When you are invited to the great feast in the kingdom, we're not talking about sitting down and simply having physical food. We're talking about restored communion with the king. So he says, now just, I, I just need you to get this if you can try to understand this. He's saying literally, there is a place at my table for you. If you are in Christ today, you already have the special seat at the table. And you, you think about at your own table in your home, there's certain people that you would invite. There's certain people you might not invite. But you're gonna invite people with whom you have a special relationship. There's a special place for your family. How many of you have like assigned seating in your, in your home? Like this is my chair, you know what I mean? This is where I sit, right, yeah. All the guys are like, that's my chair, that's my space. You know, this is literally, Jesus is saying, and it's, it's amazing how this sort of comes up. He just sort of brings this to them, you know, a, a comment kind of launches him into a parable. But he says, I want you to understand the great invitation. Now, we need to understand the great invitation. Just let me give you one more verse, Revelation 3.20. God is inviting you to the table. It says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. So once again, this, this, this illusion here of what happens at the meal when we sit down with Jesus. There is a restoration. There is communion, and you have a seat at the table. This is the great invitation. Some of you are here today, and you are fully aware of the relationship that you have with Christ. You, you understand the, the, the time and the place that you've come to that, that point of surrender of saying, I know that I'm, I'm putting my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You have a seat at the table. 
There are others that are here among us, and we're so glad that you're here. You're saying, I'm not really 100% sure how I feel about Jesus yet. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out some things. Maybe you would even say, I'm, I'm trying to seek or understand. I'm curious. We're going to talk about some of those phases that maybe you're in right now. The beautiful invitation, before we even talk about going out on mission, is understand you have a seat at the table. You have a seat at the table. That means like your life matters to God. Your direction matters to God. The restoration of your soul matters to God. And so it's a, it's a powerful just sort of thing for us all. We need to dwell on this. If we are going to reawaken to the mission of Christ, we need to know that we've got a seat at the table. The second thing, though, is I want you to see some common excuses that comes on, because if you know this scripture, it doesn't exactly go the way that the master of the house had originally intended. But pick up with me in verse 18 of Luke 14. It says, they all, but they all alike began to make excuses. Okay, so the master of the house sends his servants out. The banquet is just about ready, but what he gets back in the RSVPs verbally is a bunch of excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Did anybody else think that's funny? I just think it's funny. We'll get to it. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, if you read on, which we're going to in a moment, you'll see that the master of the house, he's upset by this, and he says, all right, fine, we're gonna get people that wanna come to this banquet, and he goes out and he begins to go after the people that the world had forgotten. But I, wanna, I think it's important for us, before we, we think about even our role in, in being ambassadors for Christ in that way, to stop for a minute and think about the excuses that people make. I make excuses. You know, the Spirit of God calls me deeper, but my natural flesh makes excuses for why I don't necessarily want to come. Even though, this is the thing that must be so frustrating for Jesus when he walked on this earth and he gave parables to us. And he said things like this. He said, there was a man who found a treasure in a field and he realized that that treasure was so valuable that he would be willing to sell everything that he had so that he could get that field and get that treasure. He said things like this. There was a merchant who sold pearls and when he discovered this pearl of great price, he realized this is the thing that is worth more than anything else that I have. And I would get rid of everything else that I have if I could have this treasure. What's, what's he pointing to? He's trying to help a lost and broken world see that in the midst of all of their pursuits and all of the things that they think they need and all of the things that I think I need, that there is something of greater price that's worth more, th more than all of it. And it's my seat at the table. And so imagine the frustration. You can hear it in this. I mean, there's probably a reason why he's telling this parable this way. But imagine Jesus saying, I'm trying to offer the restoration of soul, the restoration of life, the real treasure in my presence. And people are chasing after everything, everything else. 
And so we see this, these excuses. Well, I, thought, I started thinking about these excuses a little bit. I realized that there, none of these excuses are, are really bad things in and of themselves. They're just, it, it's the mistake of, of pursuing the good and missing out on what is best. And I think that's the word that, that Jesus would say to us. If we're gonna be on mission and reawaken to the mission of Christ, then we can't go after the good and neglect the best. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, so, so he's calling them, but look, look at these excuses. Uh, physical property. I just bought a field. That's remarkably modern excuse in my mind, right? I mean, we, we, we have responsibilities. I just bought a house. I, I just took on this new thing. I, I'm, I'm acquiring this thing. I gotta care for it or whatever. Not a bad thing in and of itself, but it may serve to distract us from that which is best. And so we can think about, we, we need to analyze our own excuses. The second one I find maybe a little less applicable, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I've never made that excuse, I will say that. But I find this interesting. He goes, I just bought these five yoke of oxen and I need to go and try them out. So I was trying to think about like, well, what, what would be like the modern day equivalent of kind of that thing, yeah, you know, and I couldn't come up with it. I was like, you know, technology, I'll know I'm gonna try out this, and I'll get distracted, right? I wanna do this, I wanna do this, this seems important, I wanna pursue this or whatever. And somebody after the first service said, dude, that's my truck. <laughs> my five yoke of oxen. I just got this thing, and I wanna try it out. And there's nothing wrong with having five yoke of oxen, but we can see how that can distract from the invitation to come and to sit at the, at, the, at the table and to be in the presence of that which is best. The relational commitment, I think, is very modern. You know, the, the, the concern is, I just got married. You know, I, got, I got family commitments here. I've got things that I need to do, and they're legitimate things that I need to do, and yet those too may distract us from what is best. So, so I realize this in my own excuses. Why don't, why don't I... Why don't I more readily come to the table? The fact of the matter is that to come to the table requires sacrifice. It requires surrender. That's why, you know, a lot of people, when they're trying to evaluate, what would it really mean to go all in for my walk with Jesus, to really pursue him, to really, to really pursue the disciplines that would bring me into his presence, et cetera, et cetera, I realize I would have to give up certain things. It would cost me. And it will cost you to pursue that which is best. Going to the table requires sacrifice. It requires surrender. Jesus actually said in, in Matthew chapter 10, again, if we're gonna wake up to the mission of Christ, we, we have to be aware of these things. He said, you know, your relationships, your father, your mother, your children, those cannot be lifted up as priorities above me if you're gonna be my disciple. And that sounds hard. He says in verse 38 of Matthew 10, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So I just want to ask you to, to think a little bit about, not, not in a spirit of condemnation, but just to say, you know, what are the excuses that your old nature will make when you're hearing that invitation to come into the presence of God? 
If we're going to be on mission, we've got to be people who understand the presence, who pursue the presence of God. So what are the excuses that keep us from going after him? Uh, I want to take just a minute, because I think this is, this is important for us. Um, we, we want to reawaken to the mission of Christ, right? So we want to understand what, what is his mission? What's he calling us to do? How's he calling you to act and to speak and to be in the world so that your life would actually reflect his glory and his goodness so that when people see Christ in you, they actually are drawn to him. So people will actually say, wait a minute, you're living as someone who's got a seat at the table, and now you're saying that I've got a seat at the table, and and so I'm intrigued, I'm curious by that. So that's part of what happens when we live our lives with Christ at the center. So we've got to figure that out for us, but then we also got to figure that out for our mission field. You know, we have to understand what are the obstacles, what are the things that would stand in the way of somebody saying yes to coming to the table if we're going to be on mission. So there's a book that was written by Don Everts and, and Doug Shop, and it was called I Once Was Lost. Uh, and it's very interesting. They're addressing the question of how do people come to Jesus in today's postmodern culture? And they they suggest that it is not by a mechanical or, or linear process of cookie cutter conversation, but it's also not a nebulous spiritual wandering that never culminates in decision or commitment. There are decisions being made for Jesus. There are commitments being made for him. So over this last decade, Don Everts, Doug Shop, they've listened to stories of, of 2,000 plus postmodern people who have come to follow Jesus, and they've actually found a few interesting themes that have emerged. And so when I think, okay, how do I reawaken to the mission of Christ? I've got to be aware of my mission field. You know, what are the steps that people are actually going through who are finding their way to Christ? And so here's a couple things. Again, some of this will apply to you as a believer. Some of this will apply to you because you are in this process right now. So here's a couple. Let me take a stab. Threshold number one. We have it up here on the screen. Uh, Trust. When somebody comes into a place where they are able to trust a Jesus follower, that's actually a huge, huge step on their journey to finding Christ himself. And think about it. How sad would it be if I was not a Christ follower and if all of the Christians in my life were not trustworthy? Where would I be on my journey? So again, we can actually learn to celebrate some of these things. And and I'm gonna give you just a little example because sometimes uh, when I talk about gospel demonstration, I know that bothers some people. I've had people say, you need to talk more about gospel declaration. We need to preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. And I want us to preach the gospel. I am a preacher by trade. I want you to speak the truth of God's uh, gospel message to people. But listen, I'm absolutely convinced that some people are not ready to hear or be called to a decision about their eternity because they don't even trust me or you yet. And sometimes our gospel demonstrations are the way that we show you, show somebody, we love you for who you are. We wanna just get to know you for who you are, not trying to make a sales pitch. So we've started, one of the things that's been a joy in pandemic season, which has not been a picnic for any of us, in these last couple years. Can anybody say yes to that? It's been tough. But one of the things that has been a real joy has been our ability to engage with our neighbors. So we've, we've been able to connect with our neighbors like way more 
and in, in some just some really special and sweet ways. I'm having spiritual conversations with neighbors that I never would have guessed that I would have had a spiritual conversation with, but it began with a gospel demonstration. And now we're talking about the things that we have in common or the things where we disagree, whatever, but we're, we're getting into some spiritual conversations. Let me tell you how easy it is sometimes to, to build trust even with an event that doesn't work out. We were doing a... Uh, Donuts in the driveway get together in uh, November. So we invited all the people in our call to sack. We want to just get together, just a little fun, little little time together. Donuts in the driveway. We invite all the people on the surrounding, the other cul-de-sac that's sort of, we're a cul-de-sac off a cul-de-sac, which is a very quiet way to live. But anyway, uh, so we invited all them too, and then we invited some of the neighbors that we don't really know that are on the other street over here, just get to know them a little bit better or whatever. We put all these little door hangers out. Come on over to our house. We're going to have little donuts uh, and, and coffee in the driveway or whatever. And then... Uh, we got exposed to COVID uh, and all got COVID in our house. And so I had to go around before we knew if we were COVID positive or not and put signs out again to say uh, postponed, you know, due to COVID. We're well, sorry to do that, but we'll do it another time. So the event didn't even work. It didn't, it didn't happen. Uh, about a month ago, I was on the roof of my house doing Christmas lights uh, I think taking them down or something. I can't remember if I was putting them up or taking them down, but I was, I was on the roof of my house and we were doing Christmas lights. And an older gentleman who lives a couple blocks away, um, taking a walk. I've seen this guy walking for years. We have never had a conversation. We have never had a how you doing conversation, nice day today, nothing like that. Just We've just never spoken. He's a very quiet guy. See him walking, see him walking. He's walking, I'm on the roof. He sees me on the roof. He stops and he says, hey, how's your family doing? And I said, oh, thank you for asking. He's like, yeah, the donuts in the driveway thing. That was such a great idea. I really wanted to come to that. And then I was concerned for you when I heard that you guys got COVID or whatever. And it sounds like everybody's doing okay. Everybody's okay now and everything. So all of a sudden we're having our first conversation spurred on by an event that never happened. You see, when you, when you just try to be present and you try to have some gospel demonstration type opportunities with people just to say, I, just, I care about you, I love you, I want to get to know you, the opportunities will be there. So I'm not going to talk about each of these phases for this long, but the, the trust one is huge. And I realize as he's walking away, all of a sudden, we're building a little trust here. He's actually asking me how my family's doing. Thanks for asking. He cares about us. So I'm looking forward to connecting with him later. So you see how that works, trusting. Uh, threshold two that they found, uh, becoming curious. Now this is the shift from, becoming com from being complacent to actually being curious about Jesus. And this is what happens when people see the aroma of Christ in you. It's easy to bang on the church. It's easy to find all kinds of examples of people who have done boneheaded things or whatever, but when people see the legitimate fragrance of Christ in your life, there's sort of a curiosity that begins to develop. And so they, these authors found that for many of these people that that was a major shift in them coming to faith in Christ. Number three was this, opening up to change. And this is important because it's a shift from being closed to being open to change. And this may be the hardest threshold to cross because this is when somebody says, but you know, if I take this seriously, it is gonna cost me. And if they understand the gospel, they begin to understand, yeah, there's a cost to following Jesus. Threshold number four, I begin seeking after God. 
And this is a shift from meandering to seeking. I love that there are people probably here in this room listening to this message or invested in some way in this church family that are saying, I've not made a commitment yet to follow Christ. But I'm kind of intrigued to see what this is all about. And I remember the time in my life, so many of you remember the time in your life when you said, you know, the Holy Spirit, you didn't realize it at the time, was actually stirring something in you and caused you to seek, caused you to have a hunger that you didn't have before. That's a major step. We celebrate all of these steps. Threshold number five is you actually enter into the kingdom. You take your seat at the table and you say, through uh, following Jesus, repenting, believing, giving your heart to him, you say, I'm, I'm actually taking him up on his offer to come and to be in his presence, to receive his restoration, to receive his forgiveness, etc. And that's number five. Here's the thing that strikes me, though. If you're a Christian, listen. We spend a lot of time focusing on number five. And we get frustrated and confused when our gospel declarations are met with distrust and people say, I'm not just ready for that yet. Let's celebrate the phases. We're celebrating that with some of you even right now. Reawaken to his mission. So let's do the last one. Uh, the last part is the king's full house. Oh yeah, I made this joke in the first service and a couple of them actually laughed at this. Um, I, I didn't know if they would. I don't know if you will either. I, I was talking about the fact that, that, that God is actually looking for people to be all in. You know, that like, that when you take your seat at the table, that he's actually calling you to say, I, I wanna be all in. I want to actually live this life as if the pursuit of Christ matters. And so I said, being about all in and something else, and I said, well, that's a couple of, of poker jokes or whatever. And then the last point here is, is the king's full house. So I said, that's your last card reference for the day. It's not that funny, really. But. So here's how this parable ends. So the servant came back, and he reported this to the master. All of these RSVPs basically are coming in. People are, are making excuse of, of why they can't come. Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I don't know if, if today this will happen or not. I hope that in this 40 days of prayer that something in your heart aligns a little more deeply with the heart of Jesus. And when you read things like this, you can't read that and, and not notice who Jesus notices. That it is a fact that there are many people who would say, I am too busy for Jesus in my life. I'm not interested in him. I don't wanna do that. And he immediately says, well, then bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Bring the forgotten. Bring the people that the world has forgotten about. And let them know that they are not forgotten in my economy. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. Just like that. But there's still room. That is our missional heartbeat. What has been asked has been done but there is still room. 
And I think there's a reason that Jesus put all of this together. So then the master told his servant, verse 23, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Go get them. Go t- don't drag them here. Don't, don't, but compel them. I mean, this is the kind of language that Paul uses when he says in the second Corinthians chapter 520, he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Just make sure you understand what I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying here. This is not about church growth strategy when he says my house is going to be full he's not talking about a gathering like this this build this beautiful building we'd love every seat to be filled with people seeking jesus that's wonderful that's good that's not what he's talking about he's talking about his house he's talking about his table he's saying there's room at my table go get them Go let them see the fragrance of Christ in your life and the things that you do and the decisions that you make and the way that you act and the way that you respond, the way you respond when you're hurt, the way you respond when you're tired, the way you respond when you're misunderstood. Let them see Christ in you, the fragrance of him, and let them know there's space at the table for them. Three observations I'll make real quickly. Number one, The master sends his servant out to gather more. This is gospel declaration. This is gospel demonstration. The master sends us out to gather more. The compassionate heart of Jesus seeks out the ones that the world has forgotten. I find it very interesting that Jesus goes immediately there. It's a very beatitudinal sort of thing for him to do. Um... Number three, we're called to reawaken to the mission of Christ. It may be that today or this week or this month or soon that you would say, you know, I I sense my heart beating just a little bit closer to the heart of Christ. That is how we reawaken to his mission. I want to give you one practical thing before we go. Um, I hope that even now there are faces, names, relationships, opportunities, maybe the Holy Spirit begins to come to mind that you would say, this is my mission. This is my opportunity to be all in. This is my opportunity to reawaken to the mission of God. So I'm praying that that would be the case for you. But I also wanna give you a practical thing that you can do in response to today's message. Because what I don't like is listening to a message and then I say to myself, it sounded really passionate, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Has anybody ever been there? You feel like, I come here a lot, man. <laughs> right, so, so something practical. Like, what, what, what do you do? How do, how do I like, get on mission? So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you one. Last week, Pastor Chad was preaching, and he mentioned about uh, resettlement opportunities for Afghan refugees. And uh, we've, been, we've been talking with uh, leadership among the city church here in our, our region. That's the evangelical churches and the partnerships that we do together. 
And um, I, I just want to give you a couple more pieces with this. So we're, so we're actually working with Bethany Christian Services, which is a Christ-centered organization. And, and what they are desiring to do is to be active in helping some families that could be resettled in this area. These are families oftentimes that have lost a lot. Uh, they've been displaced. And I think to myself, how awesome would it be if the church was able to rise up and say, we see you. We care about you. We want to help you and find some ways to do that. And so there's some practical things that we're going to be trying to do. That if each household, is, it may only be three, it might be four, I don't know. If each of these households um, had a team of six to ten people who would take an Afghan household under its wing for six months. That's one of the asks. What does that mean? to take a household under your wing? I don't completely know. It probably means some calls, some check-ins, maybe some groceries, maybe helping them get moved, maybe helping them get established in the area. It's probably some relational kind of credit and all of that sort of stuff that you would invest, but we're looking for some families to say, you know what, we wanna walk alongside some families who are gonna be resettled in this area. There are some financial needs, relatively modest, but that's something that I think we can tackle together as a, as a group of churches in this area that we could put together a handful of thousands of dollars to, to help actually get these families settled. I believe that the Lord's resources are, are large and that he will provide for that. But here's my question. You ready for the question? Call for the question. All in favor say aye. That's a, it's a, it's a board thing. <laughs> The question is this. I was, I was thinking about this opportunity. I've explained to you just a couple little snippets. What would, that, what would that look like? If you are sitting here today and you go, you know what? That's something that I would like to explore. Like that, that resonates in my heart that like I think we could be part of a team of people that would come alongside a family and take them under our wing, whatever that ends up meaning. But, but to be God's hands and feet in that way, um, Lift up a hand if you just go, yeah, it actually kind of resonates with me. You're not committing to anything here today. But okay, lots of hands. Okay, actually raise them up high because that way I just want you to see that there's kind of like a, a heartbeat here, you know, to say, I kind of like to go after some of these things. So if you've raised a hand, here's what that means. You're now committing $5,000. <laughs> no, it's not that. It, what, it, what it means is you're simply saying, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm open to allowing the Spirit of God to stir on this. And what we will do in the next day is uh, I, we send out a letter um, every Monday. It's called From the Pastor's Desk. How many of you have read that? How many of you have ignored that at least once? Okay. I'm, I'm sure that happens. Uh, if you've raised a hand to say, you know, that kind of stirs on my heart, don't ignore that letter tomorrow, okay? So I'm gonna put in there some, some next steps that you could say this is what that would actually look like. And so I'll get you in touch with Aiden Wirtz, who's our outreach pastor here. He's gonna be helping to spearhead uh, some of this project and working with the other churches and things. But I just think what a cool practical way for us to say we want to be reawakened to the mission of Christ. That's our heart and that's our message. I wanna pray for you. So would you stand together and we'll have the worship team come up and, and get ready to, to lead us out of here, but let's, let's just receive uh, this calling 
Jesus, we are grateful. We are very grateful because you have said to each one of us, there is a space at my table for you. And I just pray, Lord, that you might let us soak in that reality a little bit. That the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords has said, I see you. And your life matters. And your spiritual life matters. And a lot of us have made a commitment to Christ. We've, we've come to that place of saying, I'm taking my seat at the table and I'm grateful and, and maybe today I'm just kind of re reawakening reawakening to his love for me others of us maybe are not at that point yet maybe today is the day where you would say I have maybe been curious about Jesus I've been a seeker even I've been investigating the things of Christ the people of Christ the body of Christ but you know that you've never taken your seat at the table right And today might be a day where you say, I need to take my seat at the table. And the way we talk about that commitment is is very simple. We just say, Lord, we recognize our sin that has kept us from you. We recognize your finished work on the cross that has covered for every debt. And with joy in my heart, I would receive what you have done for me. That is you responding to the invitation. You put it in your own words. You make your own prayer before the Lord. But when you say that sincerely, Scripture tells us you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is how you come into the right standing relationship with Him. It's the hardest thing. And it's the best thing. And it's worth saying no to everything else to say, I want to get that. So let today be that day. Holy Spirit's may be stirring on your heart. That would be great. Father, I want to pray right now for our church family. I pray right now that you would give us uh, an image, a name, a relationship, a place where we might personally be reawakened to the mission of Christ. I pray that we would run hard after you. And that as we pursue you, that we would be able to show others that there is room at the table. That your house would be full. That is an awesome phrase. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.